Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith courts one in the right down the line. It may go. You're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brent McMillan. It's the June 11th edition of the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Brett McMillan. Glad that you could be along with us today. And we're going to keep this really short at the beginning because we've got a long conversation with Kyle McClellan. It was part of a flashback Friday at the Cardinals Museum. If you don't know, every Friday home game, we bring in a Cardinals alumni. They chat with Brian Finch of the Cardinals Museum and talk about their time here in St. Louis playing for the organization. It's usually some great kind of insider stories type stuff. And here's the coolest part. If you pay to get into the museum, you're allowed to go to the event and have this up-close and intimate experience with a player that you've probably watched on television before. You can hear them tell stories about their career live and in person. Again, Flashback Fridays. Visit cardinals.com slash museum to see a full schedule. Kyle's a local St. Louis kid, so that adds an extra little dimension to his story as well. And he was on the 2011 Cardinal team. He and Brian talk about that a fair amount. I think you are going to really really enjoy the stories that he tells from the 2011 postseason. We're going to get to it in just a second, but before we do that, I want to remind you to not miss the inaugural African American Heritage Night at Bush Stadium. That's coming at you on Wednesday, June the 19th. With the purchase of a special themed ticket, fans will take home a unique St. Louis Stars t-shirt and come early for a special heritage celebration in Budweiser Terrace before the game gets going. Get your tickets today at cardinals.com slash theme. Again, it is African American Heritage Night featuring a St. Louis Stars t-shirt. It's really neat. It's got the old Stars logo on the front. The Stars, by the way, if you don't know, were the Negro League team here in St. Louis. Cool Papa Bell and others highlighted that team. Some all-time great ball players. They played uh, just over there at Harris Stowe State University across the street from the Chaffetz Arena. That is where Stars Park used to be. So well, I'm sure they'll be learning and uh, talking a lot about the old St. Louis Stars on African American Heritage Night. Again, June the 19th, cardinals.com slash theme for your tickets. Let's get right into it. Brian Finch along with Kyle McQuellen, former Cardinals pitcher. That's the conversation from a flashback Friday, and it's our featured conversation this week on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Uh, every former player has great stories about what it was like to wear the birds on the bat uniform, 
But I'm very excited uh, to hear from our alumni player today, Kyle McClellan. Kyle was born and raised here in the St. Louis area, and it wasn't that he just grew up and went to high school here and got to wear the birds on the bat, but then he got to wear the birds on the bat for a World Championship Cardinals Club. To put all that together, I'm so excited to hear about this, and now he's doing great things in our community, um, and literally on an international basis. He's changing lives on a daily basis, and you just returned from Haiti a day ago, right? Yeah, last night, right. 10 o'clock I landed. So let's have a warm round of applause and a warm welcome for Kyle McClellan. Kyle, thanks for being here. Let's kick things off. Um, you were born in Florissant. You grew up, you went to Hazelwood West High School, correct? Get that right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was it like growing up in this area? Uh, and, of course, you know, we claim, you know, the area as a baseball town, as a Cardinals town. But for you, what was it like growing up in this area with the Cardinals as, obviously, the predominant franchise and you growing up as a young baseball player? Yeah, I mean, for me, I grew up in a baseball family. Um, my dad coached my brother uh, when he was in Little League, so I was the youngest of three, so I would go to games constantly with my brother's game, my sister's games. And uh, and then when I had my own, you know, I just grew up at the ballpark. And, um, you know, being a Cardinals fan, I, we my dad had season tickets through his company, he worked for Oscar Mayer his whole career, and he was in charge of season tickets. And so he would always get to hand pick the series that we would go to. We went to opening day. I was always, you know, my parents come get me out of school every opening day uh, to come down and, and go to that. So I, I grew up going to games. Um, I was the kid that got there early and I had a, a glove just full of, of autographs that I would go down and try to get. And and um, so it was just part of what we did as a family. We, we watched the games, we went to the games, we listened to the games. Uh, baseball was just what it was. And then, you know, just being a, a, a Cardinals fan as a kid, you, you know, you always have that dream of I'm going to play baseball, I'm going to play for the Cardinals. And um, and as I got farther and farther along and got into high school and thought, you know, maybe I can go play in college. And and then when it, you know, pro teams started coming and the Cardinals were one of them, I was like, holy cow, you know, that would be so cool to be, you know, drafted by the Cardinals. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but obviously it ended up happening. So I have to ask, do you have any recollection of your first game to as a fan going to bush stadium and remembering that i asked that i've got a young son he doesn't he was too young at the time you mentioned getting tickets you know through your dad's work do you have yeah. any memories of your first big league game i don't not on my first one i don't know I, probably early early on is when i went um people ask all the time memories of me growing up here and i'll tell you what what i remember most is that smell you know like we sat in uh uh, in, in the section right there, like I, we had, there was a, a hot dog stand right there, sauerkraut, you know, like right, you walked right by it and then went to our seats and, and we were about 25 rows up down there right behind the Cardinals dugout. So I remember that smell, but I also remember as a kid when we could drive, um, me and my buddy, we, and back then you didn't, you know, you didn't have to scan your tickets. You just flashed them to the, to the, uh, to the usher. And so I had a pin board or a bulletin board full of all the tickets I had been to. And we had like the really good seats down low. And when we didn't have those seats, me and my buddy, we'd go and we'd buy bleacher seats for five bucks. And I'd take tickets from years past and we'd cover up who they were playing, flash them to the, to the usher. And then we'd get down and get kicked out of all the seats. And, uh, but we'd, we'd wait till like the third inning and be like, those seats are still open. And we'd go down and do that. And we'd eat at Taco Bell on the way in. So we didn't have to pay, spend money in the concession stand. And we'd park at Purina. 
and and uh, and walk, so we didn't have to pay for parking. We went to ball game for five bucks, and we got to sit in great seats. And um, so I remember me and my buddy Dave and and Joe, and we did that. We did that all the time in the summer. If there was a day game, we were probably getting kicked out of seats somewhere. So so uh, we'll get into how you got to become a major leaguer in a minute. But for Dave and Joe. Did you take care of them later when you became a big leaguer, or did you make them pay for no, tickets? No, they, they had to pay. Okay. Yeah, they, they had to pay. <laughs> I love it. So um, you mentioned growing up as a baseball player. When did it dawn on you that you might have the opportunity uh, to, to be a big leaguer? When, when did things start to come into focus for you that baseball could be a career? Um, well, those are two different questions. When I thought I had a chance to play – to get drafted was my senior year in high school. Um, I did a showcase the that winter, and I, I threw 94 miles an hour. And I had I came out of that batting cage, and I had like I was swarmed, and I, it was it was like a movie. And I'm like, "Where's my dad?" I was just trying to find my dad. I'm like, "Dad!" People are like, "You have no idea what you just did." I'm like, "Where's my dad?" Like, I, it's all these people swarming, sticking cards in my face, and um, so after that, I thought, you know, I've, there might be a chance that I can go. I had signed at Mizzou. And for a while, I thought, you know, I don't maybe I could play at a junior college. And then I had a chance to go to Mizzou. And and then, you know, scouts started showing up at games. And I thought, you know, maybe I could go. I might have a chance to, to get drafted. And then when that happened, you know, you get in the minor leagues and the statistics are horrible. Um, of, of all the players drafted, maybe two out of every draft class will make it. And of those that make it, very few make it past two or three years at the major league level. And so – but you think when you're in rookie ball, like, well – I'm one of them. So these other guys are fighting out for the other one. You know, everybody thinks that. And, um, and then you get in there and, and you get beat around. I mean, I, I had a really hard time in the minor leagues. I struggled. Um, statistically, I was not good. Um, I was young. I was 17 years old when I got drafted. I'm trying to perform at a high level. And, uh, and, and then I had Tommy John. I was 21 years old. I had Tommy John, and I had to rehab. I ended up having two surgeries, rehab for uh, 22 months to the day. And that's when I got back. And, and had my chance back in um, in in, a, in high A, and actually that opportunity came when Josh Hancock was killed in a car accident. Um, there was there was no room. I was rehabbing. I was healthy. There wasn't anywhere for me to go. And when that accident happened, um, everybody moved up, and there was a spot open in high A, and they sent me over there. And so that was a, a break that I had, and and I, I did well. I pitched there for a, for a month. And still at that time, never I didn't I still didn't think I could really. I mean, I wasn't doing well. So I'm like, man, I'm doing, I'm doing well in low A. How am I going to pitch in the big leagues? And I pitched there, and I did really well. And then I went to double A, and I went to double A, and I pitched really well for two years, and that's, or two months. And I thought, I got a chance. I'm, I'm pretty close. I think I could pitch out of the bullpen and have an opportunity. And then that year I went to the Arizona Fall League. The next spring training I came to big league camp and ended up making the team. But it was when I started having success at double A that I thought, there might be an opportunity that if I catch a couple more breaks and stay healthy, I, I could maybe do this. So obviously, you know, there was some toiling for you in the minors. Uh, you mentioned that the injury history, but uh, you clearly found it yeah. in a sense. And I know in sports, we can't always put that definition on what it is, but um, things clicked for you after that. You got the opportunity. Um, and then coaches believed in you. Maybe there's a belief in yourself. And, uh, and you kind of rode that, that train right to St. Louis. What was your welcome to the big leagues moment? How did you find out that you were getting called to St. Louis? And uh, tell us a little bit about that experience for you. Yeah, I was, uh, 
so I was in spring training, my first big league camp. I had no shot of making the team. I was just there to try to make a good impression, be somebody that, you know, there's a lot of relievers that are going to be used throughout the course of the year. And I thought I had a chance. I was a starting pitcher up until that point the year before I, I converted to a reliever. And I thought, I, you know, I want to be one of those relievers that gets a shot. And uh, there was a couple injuries. Some guys weren't performing well. And I had a really good spring. And I kept getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And, um, and, and so we're getting down to the end. And I'm pitching on Easter, which was early that year, in spring training against the Mets. And I pitched really well. And I came out afterwards and did an interview with the media. And the next day, Rick Hummel published, published an article that said McClellan made the team. And people are sending me the article, and, and I'm like, ah, I'm not believing that. But he's a Hall of Fame writer. Like, he's not just going to put that. And uh, so I go in the next day, and I'm playing catch. And I get done, and Dave Duncan, who doesn't say very much, comes over to me and after I get done playing catch. And he goes, hey, I know you probably need to make plans back home, uh, but you're going with us. And I'm like, uh, what does that mean? Because we were playing an exhibition game in Springfield, and a lot of times they take minor league guys and then leave them there. So I'm like, gosh, am I going to Springfield? <laughs> or maybe take a bus to Memphis? Or And then some of the older guys, you know, they're like, hey, congratulations, you know, and I'm like, holy cow. Well, we just started our day in spring training, so I couldn't tell any. Like, I couldn't get to my phone. I had to go through a whole practice. So for two and a half hours, I knew that I made the team, and I couldn't tell anybody. And... Um, I went over to Adam Wainwright. I said, Adam, I, I made the team. He's like, yeah, I know. I knew a week ago. I'm like, what? <laughs> Russ Springer's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, how do you think you made it? He's like, I had to go to bat for you. I was like, well, you could have let me in on the fact that you guys were having these behind-the-scenes conversations about me. Um, but, yeah, and then, and then Tony. So then Tony, um, I, I go in. I call my wife. Then I call my dad. And then I call a coach that really mentored me. And then I go in, and I'm, I'm eating lunch. And Tony comes in. And he goes, Dunk, talk to you? I said, yeah. He's like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to congratulate you. We still got waivers, so, you know, the people are cutting guys. We might pick somebody up. So until opening day and it's official, I'm not going to shake your hand. And I'm like, well, that's a downer. I mean, that, <laughs> geez, I was really excited until then. So then I go, um, go. we do the exhibition. That I don't pitch, which I was glad because I'm like, man, you imagine getting hurt or something in the exhibition game. and. And uh, so we get the opening day, and I'm walking down the hallway, and there's Tony, his hair's flopping in the wind, and he, he walks right by me. And I was, so, I was like, here we go. Here's, the, here's that, like, that moment. And he just walks right by me, doesn't say anything. I was like, all right. But he gave me the ball on opening day, and I guess I was written in the lineup, so I officially made the team, but I never got that handshake. When you walk by him now, do you still look for that handshake? No, or does he? no he doesn't do the hand. You've got to do the tap. You know, he doesn't, sh he, he, he doesn't like germs, so he won't shake your hand, so he'll, he gives you a little tap. Okay. Yeah. I'll so keep that in mind If you ever meet him, time. make sure you well, tap. Now we know. Yeah. Oh, you only hear things like this on Flashback right. Friday. So right. It's a terrible name. <laughs> terrible name. <laughs> we'll get back to our marketing department right. on that. Yeah. So how did your family? Way Back Friday or something like that. I okay, I'll, I'll work on that. How did your family take it? You said you called your wife. Yep. You called your dad. Yep. What was their response? I don't remember. Uh, you know, in that moment, you're just like, it, you know, it's just one of those moments you, you don't really know what's going on. You're kind of like in a, in a, in a movie kind of scene. And, um, yeah, I, honestly, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember too much about the conversations. Um, but I, I know, you know, opening day, 
uh, when we got back here and um, that was really special for my dad a lot of the news people were following around he's all crying he's like you know <laughs> they, they found him and they were on him and he, as soon as I came in there's like all the different news channels were there different in the in the aisle and he's like you know kind of embarrassed by it but it was a cool moment I'm, I'm so glad that I got to have that moment here on opening day which we all know how special that is here but in front of my friends and family um, that were all here you know I still get people that are like man I remember your first game I was here for that and uh, there was probably a lot of people in that stadium that that I knew that uh, it was cool to have that have that first experience in front of them so I've got to ask then when the car comes out of the wagon gate you're in the convertible do you remember much of that moment or is that a bit of a blur too just because all of this emotion this lifetime of baseball you talked about having been in opening days for years growing up here and and here you are I mean you're you're living this St. Louis child's dream of growing up and playing for your hometown club the St. Louis Cardinals now now here you are do you remember much about that or is it all sort of a the one thing that stands out I remember fans saying congratulations like they knew you know like they're informed uh, they knew what was going on welcome back great to have you you know Hazelwood West you hear that yelled all the time and um, so it was just I just remember so many people knowing my story which I thought was you know was pretty cool you come up the minor leagues and nobody knows you nobody pays attention to you and then you you know you you're down in Florida you have a spring training and to see that fans paid attention and knew and and recognized and understood you know I grew up here and um, kind of the story behind it was definitely something I remember going around and hearing that from a lot of people in the stands that's cool very cool so let's talk about your Cardinals career now so we we get to the point where you're in the big leagues um, you were clearly pitching pretty well at that point and those teams those years in Cardinals history we had of course the big year in 2006 um, but things hadn't gone so well for the club in, in 2007, 2008. We could argue that there were a little bit of rebuilding years for us, not to you personally. I mean, we still had some big names on the roster, um, big bats in the lineup, but th- there wasn't that continuity from the championship club of, of 2006 and arguably 04, 05, 06, then progressing onward. Um, but you were part of this younger youth movement of bringing talent from the minors to get us back into the playoffs, um, and that really reached a pinnacle in 2011. What was it like being part of those clubs to get us back to the playoffs? Yeah, you don't really realize it at the time. I mean, you just, you're just paying attention to what what you got in front of you. Um, you know, as a difference in philosophy, you had John Mosellock's first year as general manager was 08, taken over for, for Walt Jockety, and Walt Jockety – was I mean every year he would trade minor league talent for major league talent and and I I think that's actually a pretty good philosophy because you know there's a lot of minor league guys that have first round picks and all these different things that never pan out you get a a big league guy like a Larry Walker that you're able to acquire to trade deadline things like that you know I I I think it and it obviously served well Um, Mosellock came in and and had a different philosophy which obviously has has played out very well um and so it was it was kind of that start of the youth movement and kind of developing the minor league system we had a very poor minor league system for a long time because we just depleted it and and so then it started the building and we, we started to have some big draft names that, that they hit on and and were, were big prospects and then they got to see them come up to the i mean dan heron might be one of the very few first round picks that the cardinals actually got to the big leagues and it wasn't long and then he went somewhere else but it didn't happen I mean minor league guys were not coming up Um, and so yeah it was it was kind of neat to be a part of that wave that that kind of but it was a transition it took some time and 
Uh, it was an interesting locker room in 08. I mean, we had guys, Russ Springer is my mentor, had like 16 years of major league experience. Um, and I, it was me and Skip Schumacher was the next level. And he had like two and a half or three years more than I did. So there was a big gap between me and, you know, the next youngest guy. That's pretty interesting. And of course, it was in those years that um, Matt Holiday was acquired. You know, another big bat in the lineup. What was it like playing with some of those players? Um, thinking about Matt Holiday, Albert Pujols. Uh, what was it like with those guys on the field for you? Not just great hitters in the lineup, but also some pretty outstanding defensive players as well for you being on the mound. Yeah, Yachty's not bad either. That's true. Um, <laughs> that made my job easier. Uh, so, you know, start. I mean, Albert's the guy you got to start with. He uh, To be able to watch him in those years, 08, nine ten and eleven I mean it, it was the point like in the bullpen if he was coming up in the third inning of a game in April or May you if you had to go to the bathroom you would wait until his at bat was over so that you could go because you didn't want to miss it you always wanted to make sure you were there because he might do something very very special and uh so it was it was incredible to, to watch him prepare you know from a pitching standpoint as a reliever, I have to focus for an inning, maybe two innings, a game. And I only pitch in half the games, maybe. As a starter, you're throwing every five days. So you get four days. You, you know, one day you have to lock it in. This guy came in every day, and he played every day. And that's Yachty now. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm amazed at watching Yachty and how they prepare themselves to do it offensively, defensively. And then Albert has to deal with the superstar status, which, you know, not many people have to deal with. I mean, that guy can't go to the grocery store without – somebody stopping him and wanting a picture and wanting to talk to him and I mean it and he handled all that really well um and, and it was it was cool to get an up up front seat for it and uh, and watch him do that but I'll, I'll never forget you know being in that locker room with him for four years or five years and and uh just seeing how he went about it and that's why to be honest with you, that's why Yachty is what he is today he learned all that from Albert I mean Albert took him from day one under his wing and um and Yachty's a, a spitting image of Albert and his preparation, his dedication, his, his, his everything that he does. And a lot of that comes from Jose Okendo. I mean, you can keep going back yeah. on that. Jose Okendo, you know, morphed Albert into that. And then Yachty, I mean, had a huge influence on them. Um, so that was great. And Matt Holiday, when he came over, well, was a great guy, fit, fit in our locker room perfectly, uh, was a great, you know, hitter and, um, you know, added a, a great piece to our I – mean, I remember being in um, – I think we were in Philadelphia when we got him. And there was a group text, and it was like, here we go. You know, we just got Matt Holiday, and, uh, you know, it was a huge piece of what we needed for that year and years beyond. That's true. That's true. And now I think I remember correctly. So 2009 would have been the first team that you went to the playoffs with. Tell me a little bit about your first taste of the playoffs with the Cardinals, and then we'll get into some of the later playoff runs. Yeah, it's a, playoff baseball is a whole different animal. Uh, we were in L.A. at the time, so opening up out there – crazy environment um tons of people it's just it, it's the the noise i think I, I only pitched we we got swept so i think i only pitched once or twice um but i just remember that atmosphere being completely different than anything i've ever been in i mean your heart is pounding out of your chest um it's just a totally different environment and um it was short <laughs> you know it was great to experience it and 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 see what get a get a taste of it but uh, unfortunately, it, it ended, you know, way too short. And we, we had, you know, we had a really good season that year. We kind of started to fall off at the end, but we had been up by so much that we kind of had such a cushion that we kind of cruised into the postseason. And 
uh, weren't playing our best ball in like 2011. And, um, but it, that environment, man, is there's nothing like playoff baseball. It, there's nothing better. Playoff hockey is pretty good too, but <laughs> playoff baseball, man, it, it's, it's just, there's nothing like it. Before we talk about 2011, I will give you the nod that I'm sure you'll say Bush Stadium's your favorite place to pitch. But what were some of your favorite ballparks to go to to, to play in? What were some of your favorite cities to, to go to to visit, you know, as a ball player? Yeah, I always – there's a couple different ways to answer this because you know, there's so many things that I would take into consideration. The hotel we stayed at, location of the ballpark, how you get there. Like, <laughs> it's not the site – I never sightsee – I didn't go sightseeing. I didn't know all that. The food we have in the clubhouse, the, you know, the things like that go into it. But for me, my favorite place to play was Wrigley, um, outside of Bush Stadium. It, the just the atmosphere, Cards Cubs, weekend series. Is, my wife would come up a lot for the games. A lot of times we played a lot of day games, so you get to go out and have a nice dinner afterwards. But the the atmosphere there, I mean, the history there between those two clubs, the history of that stadium, uh, the fans there. It was just a. I, I loved it. I loved uh, every time we went to Chicago. I, I couldn't wait for for the game to start. Uh, before the game in the locker room, not not great, to- <laughs> terrible. Um, you know, batting practice was awesome because the fans are there. They've had quite a few drinks and they're yelling at you, and uh, you can kind of get them fired up. But um, so that was always a great place. I always loved Colorado. We usually had an off day there, so we go a lot of times. We'd get together and go trout fishing on our off day, or go you know explore a little bit there. I'm an outdoors guy, so I, I enjoyed that. I like their their ballpark. It's just a cool place to play not good I, good to sit in the bullpen and watch it not good to be pitching out there um san francisco is a really their their fan base is incredible um they they sell out every game and you know it's a it's a an awesome stadium um so i would say those are fenway park my first year went to fenway the same as kind of wrigley you're walking down that tunnel and you're like man just think of the names that walk down the same tunnel um, and then sign the green monster and things like that yeah. And uh, we swept them there, too, so that was a good they – were, they weren't happy with us, but <laughs> that was a good experience. What do you remember as a player? Um, two questions for you. What do you feel like was your best um, performance as a pitcher, as a Cardinal, and who do you feel was the best – or, I'm sorry, the toughest opponent you went up against, toughest hitter? Okay. So, Hunter Pence, I struggled with really bad. He hit me really well. Every time I faced him, it was – I came into a meeting when I was starting, and Dave Duncan goes, what are we going to do about Pence? And I'm like, I don't know. And he, I said, if I throw him a fastball, he hits it right up the middle, like literally off the mound, up the middle every time. If I throw him a breaking ball, he, he gets out in front, and he hooks it in between short and third. So those are your two options. And he's like, all right, well, what are we going to do? And we'll position him that way. And I, I said, well, I'm going to throw him a first pitch fastball. And so I, he hit it right off the mound. I look back, and we got our second baseman right there. And this is before shifts was kind of a thing. And I was like, yes. I look in the dugout. I'm all, like, <laughs> cheering because it, it was an absolute base hit. But we positioned him well. Um, so he was a guy I never liked facing. And then, but Derek Lee was a guy that I liked to face. So he, uh, I think he was, like, 0 for 10 or 1 for 10 with, with a bunch of strikeouts. And um, it always went down to 3-2, and I always got him with a, with a 3-2 curveball. And uh, so I got to give you – I can't give you the who I – who I got beat up by. I like that. Yeah. Well, and as a Cardinal, what do you feel was your greatest moment on the mound? Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I had like that, you know, signature moment. Um, I, I had, I was, as a setup guy, I feel like I had a, a large role in a lot of the guys in the, in our games in 2010 and 2009. And then, you know, I think 2011, Adam Wainwright goes down with, with Tommy John surgery in spring training. I get put in the rotation and I get off to a really hot start, um, six and one, and 
And, and I think for me, that was it because I, and then I end up dealing with some shoulder stuff and I get put back in the bullpen and up winning 12 games that year. And we get in the postseason on the last day by one game. And so I look back at that year and I'm like, you know, if I win 11 games, we don't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, uh, if I, you know, starting wise, if I, you know, don't get off to that start, we don't do it. So I think, you know, just that, that year, the contribution that I had to the team that year, um, was, was probably the, the, the thing I'm most proud about. So you took the words right out of my mouth. Your role in 2011 was critical to the success of this team. You just mentioned the stats. You, you portrayed them better than I could have. Um, and what a unique role that you played there. And I, I will talk about something that's probably a little tough. I know it was tough for you um, to have to sit on the sidelines a little bit throughout the postseason because of the shoulder problems that you had. But let's talk about some of the positive. What was it like being a part of that team? We saw the, the wins down the stretch. But can you give us any insight about what was going on in the locker room, in the clubhouse, what this group of players was doing um, to show us as fans on the field what was going on? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Tell us about this group behind the scenes to, that, that put on an incredible show that we will remember for, for decades, if not generations. So we were ten and a half games out on what august 24th or 26th and we had made some trades that year and um we thought we were you know really gonna take off and it really didn't didn't click and i remember we had a team meeting carp called the team meeting and he went to tony and said i don't want you in the meeting but do you have anything you want to say and tony said let the guys know that we traded for that i apologize you know we brought him here to be on a championship team i thought we had a championship team and it just hasn't mm-hmm. gone that way yet so carp's like hey you know we're sorry um we expected it to turn out better than this uh but it just didn't didn't quite play out that way at this point but here's the deal we got a month left we owe it and i, I clear as day we owe it to our fans we owe it to management we owe it to ourselves we're going to go out there and we're going to get everything we have. We're going to see what happens. Who cares? We got no chance of getting in this thing. All the pressure's off. Let's just go out. Let's play good ball and let's just see what happens. And, uh, man, we went out and we just started, you know, I, I think the pressure was maybe off a little bit because you, know, you make these trades and then, you know, everybody's on you because you're not performing and the guys that came over and, and all of a sudden you start winning and uh, you start – and then Atlanta just losing like crazy – and so you're like, man, you, you know, we went from ten and a half to like eight and a half, and then you're like six and a half. I'm thinking, man, if we, no way we can keep this pace up. But if we do, if we can start ticking off two or three of these games a week. We got a shot to to do this. And what really happened was you came to the field knowing you were going to win, and that doesn't happen very often. But man, I'm telling you, for those three weeks, it was like we'd be down three nothing the first. It doesn't matter. We're going to win. Like, and and you you truly everybody believed and bought into that. And you just started chipping away. Rafael Fercal, I think, was a huge part of that team because he gave us a spark at the top of the lineup. I feel like every game he let off with a double or a triple. And it's like, okay, we're up one nothing right away. You're getting them over, you're getting them in, boom, we're up one nothing. And and that just that momentum started to go and started to go and started to go and and we took that right into the postseason. But it was it was literally I remember showing up every day thinking I don't care what happens today. We're going to win, <laughs> you know, and, and there's times, trust me, where you go through those stretches and you think no matter what happens today, we're going to lose. Like we are, <laughs> we are, we are not good right now and everything is against us. And you know, the blues at the, at the beginning of the season, I guarantee you those guys are like, man, it's just, you, you get in that 
And then all of a sudden it starts clicking and you're just, you, it's the opposite where you break, start going your way. You start getting, um, you know, bounces to go your way. And, and, uh, next thing you know, you're, you're on top every night and you're shaking hands. Hope that you're really enjoying this conversation between Brian Finch and Kyle McClellan. And it's fitting that I get to tell you about Outdoors Night because Kyle McClellan is a big-time outdoorsman. Outdoors Night this season at Bush Stadium presented by the Missouri Conservation Heritage Foundation, and it returns to the ballpark on Monday, June the 17th. Now, with the purchase of a special theme ticket, you're going to take home a Cardinals fishing shirt. Get your Outdoors Night tickets at cardinals.com slash theme. It's a nice navy blue shirt. It's got Cardinals on a patch across the uh, left side of the shirt, up by the chest, kind of shoulder area. A beautiful-looking item for Outdoors Night. Again, that is June 17th, and you can get your tickets at cardinals.com slash theme. All right, back to our conversation between Brian Finch and Kyle McClellan, part of a flashback Friday at the Cardinals Museum. You're hearing it here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. So I remember coming down the stretch, and there was a big weekend series against the Cubs. I think it was the last weekend series of that season. It seemed critical for the standings, and there was a walk-off win when Carlos Marmol, uh, their closer, uncorked a wild pitch, and um, Adron Chambers scored. And it was just like the roof lifted off the ballpark until it really did lift off the ballpark right. later in the World Series. And the, the, the guys, just every one of you went nuts. Um, and then Nick Punto, and maybe you can tell us about Nick Punto and what he started, the shredder. Mm -hmm. But, did, you know – that just seemed like the manifestation of everything coming together in that final weekend series. There are a few games left to play in the regular season. But um, tell us a little bit about Nick Punto and what he started as the shredder yeah. and a little bit about that nickname. Well, that game you were talking about, I think that was one of those moments where you're sitting there and you're watching the standings. You know you're running out of games. You know you're close. And you're like, dang it, we're going to lose. I think we're, you know, we're down to the very end here. We have a chance, but it doesn't look good. And then all of a sudden it breaks and you're like, see, I th we're going to win. Like we're going to win every game. <laughs> It's going to happen. We, the guy throws it to the backstop, and we score. And it's just like, man, here we, now we're back in it. We gotta, there's so many times in that where you're like, ah, oh, the Braves won today or we lost today. We, we didn't gain ground. We don't have a chance. And so you're down here. And then the next day you win and they lose. And you're like, okay, maybe there is a chance. And the ups and downs of that stretch were, was, was stressful and tiring. But, uh, you know, Nick Punto, you know, I, I really think we were a chance. I, I say all the time, a, a good clubhouse can win you an extra five, six, seven games in a major league season. And we had a great clubhouse that year. Nick Punto, Ryan Terrio, Skip Schumacher, Gerald Laird were like the ringleaders of that. And they just kept everybody loose. It was fun. It was exciting. Um, and then Nick Punto <laughs> did the, did the shredder. Um, and it wasn't just on, it just it wasn't just on the field. He would get you on the bus too. Mm -hmm. So like young guys would have their suits on and they'd have these nice shirts and and uh, he'd come up and he'd rip them and your buttons and you know as a young guy you're like come on man I don't I don't have a whole lot of these shirts. <laughs> so then people started getting they were they were getting the button shirt the snap shirts. So then he'd come up and then he started getting mad because he couldn't get anybody. <laughs> you just do it and you just put it right back together. It didn't matter. <laughs> um, but he that was just part of his like you know I, I think it's important. I, I do radio for KMOX and. And I always say, like, walk-off wins are big team-building things. Like in companies, right, you go and you do these team-building things. And um, the, that, because you, you celebrate on the field, there's something about that. And then you go into the locker room and it carries over and you're joking around. You're like, it just brings a team together. And so those moments when those comeback wins or those walk-off home runs or walk-off hits, 
those are really important for teams and and the the shredding was just kind of a way to celebrate that and um i'm just glad that you know i was never a victim of that on the field that i don't i don't have the physique that tyler o'neill has so when they you know (laughs) rip that off but uh you know it's it's uh I, i don't know where it came from but shoot i'm glad he i guess i'm glad he did it so the team gets into the playoffs you go to philadelphia facing a team in philly that had been so dominant in the national league um led by ace roy holiday gets to game five what do you remember about that game with our ace chris carpenter going up against their ace uh, really one of the epic games that in some sense gets overlooked because the world series was you know so monumental for us but i remember going in that going we got carp we're in good shape i mean i you know i didn't i wasn't around when bob gibson was playing and and uh I'll, I'll tell you that if I had to have one guy tow the rubber in a game that meant something, Chris Carpenter would be right there with Bob Gibson. I mean, uh, Chris Carpenter is the guy you want on your side uh, when when things are tough and when it, when your back's against the wall. And to go into that environment in in Philly uh, against his best friend, you know, Roy Halladay, and uh, I just remember for call hit a leadoff triple and Skip hit the sack fly to right field to get him in. And, uh, and that's how we started. It was like, okay, now at least the pressure's off. If you give up a solo home run or something, you're still right there. It's just so nice. To, in those situations, it's so nice to have the lead just in case something were to happen. And, and then they're just going back and forth. And Adam Wainwright and I um, – so I was on the DL with, uh, with my shoulder, and Adam was on the DL with, with his elbow. And um, we started this thing somehow. We, we, we ate um, um, fruit snacks. So – it started in St. Louis. Like we started eating fruit snacks and we scored like six runs and I'm like, shoot, we got to do it again. And so we, <laughs> we start doing this. So I'm telling you in Philadelphia, I, we ate a box, like a big, like a Costco box of fruit snacks. I kept coming out and he's like, Oh my gosh, Kyle. And he's like, just give them to me. And I'm like, you got to eat them. Like we're <laughs> carp just struck out the side. We're eating them again. He's like, Oh my gosh. And we ate more stinking gummy fruit snacks that game I kept going back in the clubhouse. The clubhouse manager thought I was crazy. He's, he's looking at me like, are you going to pay extra for all these stinking fruit snacks you're eating? We ate a ton of fruit snacks that whole, that whole World Series. Um, but uh, that game was, uh, was something. I just remember going on that field, and you could, hear, you could hear every word we were saying to each other because it was just dead silent. I mean, it was just absolutely dead silent. And um, Ryan Howard, you know, St. Louis guy, ended up popping his Achilles kind of to end that, which was a really – bad way um ended up really hurting his career you never want to see that and um I remember that part of it and you know running on the field he's still on the field Mm -hmm. you feel terrible about it but um it was uh that that was a game that man like you said it it should be talked about more because that was I mean that was incredible so then so the team wins the the league division series and NLDS in five uh, and then you're really going to Milwaukee and what was fascinating to me about the division series was we talk about the starting pitching. The league championship series becomes a series about yeah. relief pitching, and you were called back into action. If right. It, it, that's correct, right? Mm-hmm. And got to pitch in the league championship series. And Tony really set some records, some MLB records, if I'm not mistaken, about his use of relief pitchers, yeah. of you know yanking the starters yeah. really early in Very those early. games. So Yeah, we were kind of panicked in the bullpen. We're like – it's the third inning and the phone's ringing. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Starting pitcher's got 40 pitches. 
Uh, but we had our bullpen was hot, and and I still wasn't right. I was I hadn't pitched in a while, and I I didn't I think I pitched two thirds of an inning, um, and still struggled through that. But it was um, you know that that series we had a lot of tension that year. You know, Niger Morgan was popping off, and he called Albert Alberta that year, and or whatever he called him, and um, you know they they won the division, and they were feeling good about it. There was at one point it was game, we won that in six, so it would have been. Uh, let's see, we would have gone there for one and two, here for three and four. So it would have been game five, maybe, or it could have been one and two. Uh, they showed the owner, and the owner stands up, and he opens up his his uh, sport coat, and it says 2011 World Series champs, Milwaukee Brewers. And we're like, well, that's pretty arrogant. <laughs> so we felt really good about beating them, especially in Milwaukee. That was just a team that we just didn't like each other, playing each other all year, and uh, they had some personalities on that team, mm-hmm. and um, we had some 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 good good battles that year. But uh, man, that you know, go yeah, like you said, the, the bullpen was they threw a ton. I mean, it was uh, starters were not going very deep, and they it was you know doing the matchups early on, and and it worked. I mean, it was uh, another fun series. David Freeze started to become David Freeze <laughs> that we all know and love, really love, and um, I love that guy. You guys, my favorite guy ever. Um, I get up. You guys give him a standing ovation. I'm in my living room. Give him a standing ovation too. Uh, so that that um, yeah, that was kind of the start of him, and and uh, it's just a unique way to go about it. But you got to do in playoff baseball, you can't manage it the, the same way you manage the regular season. It's totally different. And Tony Tony did uh, does a re- he has a lot of experience, but he did a really good job of of uh, changing up and, and going with what he thought was our best chance to win. Well, I think everybody knows the story from here, so we can wrap it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We have to hear the rest of the story, right? So let's talk about the World Series for a few minutes. Um, so we, we beat the Brewers, and now we're facing the defending American League champion, Texas Rangers. They were hot as well. And they really came into the World Series with an expectation that we've been here. This is our year. Tell us what your feelings were coming into that series against the Rangers. Uh, they had some huge bats in that lineup. They had the starting pitching. Uh, clearly, we were the underdogs. We were mm-hmm. the team, as you have laid out very eloquently. You know, we we were the ones that were scraping to get into the playoffs. Nobody expected us to beat the Phillies. Nobody expected us to beat the Brewers. And now here we are. And, um, you know, just like, you know, in 2006, the odds makers and so on and so forth and the experts did not expect us to really make much of a, you know, a noise against the Rangers. And that wasn't how the World Series clearly played out, as we know, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But what was the perspective uh, inside the clubhouse and, and, you know, from your perspective? Well, it was a totally new experience. I mean, we don't have any history with the Rangers, didn't never played them in interleague and so it was a whole different, you know, you felt like you were playing a team from a different country. Um, and, and so you just go in, and at that point it didn't really matter because we were hot. You know, we didn't care. It was we're still on this roll. It hasn't stopped yet. And so whoever you put in front of us, I mean, we were going to beat them. And, you know, to go in there and, and uh, Albert have that three-home run game was, uh, was crazy. I believe we lost game one, right? And then, and then one game. Split the first two. Yeah, split yeah. the first two. And you feel good about that. If you can split on the road, you know, you come back, you, you now have home field advantage. And 
but yeah, it was a, it was definitely a, a series of didn't know their hitters very well, no history with these guys. I mean, it's just kind of like, hey, we're going to go out, play our game. You play your game. We'll see what happens. But definitely, um, definitely intimidating in that ballpark and that lineup. And like I said, their rotation. They had some some guys that could really throw at the back end of the bullpen, and uh, we knew it was definitely going to be a good series. So obviously, so Albert has the big game down in Texas in Game Three. Uh, it was really a blowout. They respond, though, and I guess one, if I remember right, one's, one game's four and five, excuse me. And uh, both of those games were kind of back and forth affairs. There were, there were opportunities for us. There was the uh, bullpen phone affair. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's any behind-the-scenes stories there, but... Uh, there is. We don't need to go into it. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I don't have any details there. I've never had... The guts to ask Tony when he's been here yeah, at the don't museum do that. about that. Yeah, don't but do nonetheless, that. you know, Lance Lynn comes into the game, walks. You Lance know, Lynn battered, might tell you. And <laughs> he plays for a different organization mm-hmm. now. But nonetheless, um, but things did kind of get away from us there. So we come home uh, down three games to two. We have to win game six, have to win game seven. Before we talk about David Freeze, there's another player in this lineup that really – in some sense, you talked about Albert Pujols, but there's another batter in this lineup that had set the table for David Freeze, Lance Berkman. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Lance Berkman and what he had done for this roster in this lineup because he really did some great things in Game 6. You know, he'd done some great things throughout this yeah. uh, playoff series, but Lance Berkman. Yeah, Lance Berkman, he's a great guy, um, and he just brought – so his first spring training, he comes over – and, you know, he's been with Houston his whole career. So he comes over, he looks really weird in a Cardinal uniform. You're just used to seeing him in an Astros uniform. And he comes over, and he and during stretch, he sits down. So the pitchers stretch on one side, position players over here. You kind of group up together. And he just plops right down in the middle of the pitchers. And it's kind of like, whoa, what are, you, what are you doing? That's not what we do here, you know. And he's just talking and carrying. He's not stretching at all. And he's just, like, telling stories and laughing. And, man, it was – everybody was laughing so hard. Our strength coach is like, what in the world is going – you know, nobody's stretching. We're like, man, this is like comedy hour over here. It's hilarious. <laughs> he has so many great – he's a great storyteller, unbelievable storyteller. And uh, I remember one – one um, Carp, Chris Carpenter was throwing his uh, his first live BP. And Carp, man, when he was live BP, he was as focused as he was in <clears throat> that, that game against Roy Halladay. <laughs> and he – he throws one in, and, and Berkman swings and hits it, and he hits it right off his hands, and it dribbles back and barely gets to the screen. And Berkman, he stands out at home plate and puffs his chest out, and he goes, take that, Carp! <laughs> and Carp looks at him, and then he just starts laughing. And I'm like, I've never seen Chris Car- Carpenter laugh before <laughs> when he's on the mound. And he's just like, that's just him. He's just loose. I mean, he had no – he had an unbelievable his, – his famous line was as he's dragging his bat out, like uh, Linus is dragging his blanket. Isn't it Linus that has yeah. the blanket? I think he's dragging it behind him, and he's like, it's on the schedule, boys. I guess we got to play it as he's walking out to the, <laughs> to the, to the field. And he just uh, – he had a, a unique personality. But, man, he was, he was a great guy, a great teammate, and just an unbelievable professional hitter. I mean, he, when you talk to him about hitting, man, he just sets the bat down, he just picks it up, and he just hits it. I mean, it, it's simple to him beautiful swing on both sides I mean uh, was a guy I never liked facing when he was there in Houston just a a huge threat and he really I mean that year and also played right field (laughs) you know that was a it was like oh boy we got this guy coming over and we got a pretty good first baseman so where's he gonna play and he put him in right field and and uh, I always you know people say you know so and so is not a great defensive player and I say if we could win a World Series with Lance Berkman in right field you can win it with anybody (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> but they better hit they better hit 290 and hit yeah. 30 home runs and drive in 100 like he did um but he he was a he was a treat and and again just a professional hitter and you knew if he was up there with the game on the line just like carp you're gonna have a really good shot he's gonna give you your best chance he's not gonna give in and he's gonna he's gonna give you your best opportunity david freeze it, man um you know that's just one of those <laughs> Like I go, I go back to sometimes in high school, you know, where I would go out there and I have really dominating performances and you're just like, I don't know, I'm just doing what I normally do. And, and it works out really well, whether you're striking out a whole bunch or you're hitting, you're hitting home runs that you, you don't know what you're doing different. You just do it. I just imagine him being in there. Like, I don't know what in the world's going on. I'm just, I'm doing the same thing I've done for a long time, but man, it's just, it's just clicking. And, uh, it was just like, it was meant to be for him and, and he just continued to come up in huge cities like, oh, no, he, there's no way he can do it again. You know, I mean, it's over. There's, it's like Christian Yelich right now with the Brewers. It's like no way he can continue to do it again. And just time after time he did it. And, um, I, I mean, there's nothing really you can say. I mean, he hit, what, four, 450 in the, in the World Series, I believe? It was over 400. Crazy. I mean, absolutely crazy. And then not only that, but, you know, in those moments, in those – uh, the the how he was able to deliver the the biggest um, moment in the biggest moment is is incredible. So before we get to the walk off home run, where were you in the bottom of the ninth inning of Game Six when he hit the triple to tie the game? Were you in the bullpen? Were you in the dugout? No, I was in. So the World Series, I was back on the DL, and so I was in the bullpen or in the dugout there, um, top step, you know, screaming and yelling, losing my voice. Um, eating gummies no uh, yeah i'm telling you man <laughs> I, actually that's a good point i never brought that up with david you know his hot streak was probably because i had about forty thousand calories worth of <laughs> stinking <laughs> so are you saying that he should be giving <laughs> yes. you standing ovations yeah i put on 45 pounds that <laughs> that world series stretch from fruit snacks <laughs> <laughs> so if we reverse a few minutes here, maybe this speaks to your experience and your pitching performance in the NLCS. Is that what you're getting might at? Might have. Very very well might have, yes. yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so you're on the top step. He hits the ball out to right field. Nelson Cruz goes back. Is there – and this is kind of a negative thought, but do you think just for a moment, oh, yeah. okay, the ride's over? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to catch it. And then I, I, I remember literally I was like, he's going to miss it. He missed it. You know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, he missed it. And then you're watching, and then it's just pandemonium. I mean, okay. it, you know, like when he hits it, you're like, that's that's an out. You know, and then you're like, nope, nope. He doesn't have a – oh, my gosh, he's going to miss it. He missed it. He missed it. He, You know, here we go. Now we we got a chance. We go into extra innings. Mm -hmm. Hamilton hits the home run. Yeah, not good. Josh Hamilton for the Rangers. Yeah. And then we were all thinking, okay, yep. maybe the rides – maybe this run. is the end of the ride. It was a really good run, yeah. And um, and we, we, we tied again. Yep. And then here, Freeze comes up to the plate, uh, bottom of the 10th. And uh, is that right? Bottom of the 10th. And, um, and now there's no it. pressure. Tie game. Right. Are you still at the top step of the dugout? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. And there's no way they're going to pitch to him. Right? <laughs> well, uh, what would you have done as the pitcher? I mean, I wouldn't have pitched to him. Just would you have just rolled the ball to the mound? Or? <laughs> Back then you had to throw it, but 
I don't know. I mean, that, you know, that's a tough. Blame the bullpen phone. You could do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, just one of, again, just one of those things. It's just everything lined up perfect, and and uh, man, that swing. And, it, and as soon as he hit it, it was like, I mean, everybody knew. I mean, as soon as he hit it, it was just like, you got to be kidding me. Okay, so you have to you have to take us through. He hits the home run. Take us through the next sixty seconds. You were in the dugout, and I've heard you tell part of this story before. And for those of you that may not have visited the museum, we have part of a jersey on display in the championship gallery, so you have to go see part of a jersey. It's the only piece of a jersey we have in the collection like this. And you have a peculiar element of Cardinals history that pertains to a piece of a jersey that's on display in the Cardinals Museum. Take us through Freeze's running the bases, what do you do from the top step of the dugout and your your little piece of Cardinals history right here? Yeah, so we uh, get out of the dugout, you know, get there, greet him when he's coming in, and I, for however reason, I end up – like on those, you just get there and I, there's, you're not thinking, you just end up where you end up. And so I'm like top left and he's coming in and he gives Gerald uh, or Punto a high five, like a low five. And he comes in, and then we all come around him. When we came around him, I was right behind him. And so I grabbed his jersey, and I started yanking that thing, and it would not come off. And I'm yanking it. And so if you go back and look, I got a beanie on with a beard, and I am like, just yanking that thing. And I finally get it, and I don't know what I did with it. Like, I had it in my hand, and I'm, I should have kept it if I would have known, like, hey, this is a pretty big deal. Keep it, and, you know, you could send your kids to college on this. And somehow I, I Skip Schumacher, I think, ended up getting it. He threw it in the stands is a story I've heard. And the I've talked with Skip. He claims he wasn't the one, but okay. nonetheless. Somebody, 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 somebody got it, and it got in the stands, and the, I, I think Mr. DeWitt went over and put their kids through college right. to, get, to get that jersey back. And, um, but, yeah, so I, it, you know, it's one of those moments, again, you don't realize that. So we get done with all that. We get back in the locker room, and I just remember standing around, and we're like, what do we do? And people are like, I guess we should shower because we got a game. You know, we got another game we got to get ready for in, in a day or two. And um, so we're like just standing in there like, you ca- I cannot believe what we just went through, what we just mm-hmm. saw, what we just experienced. And um, at that time, the chef brought in a, uh, a cart. And he opens the door and he said, here's dinner courtesy of Nolan Ryan. They had, they had already ordered their, their celebration dinner. <laughs> And then they and then they canceled the order, and so they wheeled it in, and we ate it. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> That's classic. That is classic. So he came in. Well, he was all. He goes, "Here's dinner, courtesy of Nolan Ryan," and he pushed it in there. We're gonna draw this to a close. I could I could listen to your stories for hours, Kyle. This is fantastic. You come in the next day for Game Seven. What did the coaching staff tell you? I don't remember. I, you know, at that point, honestly, it's. Um, you don't you don't make it a big deal you know you just you try to keep it as normal and as regular as you can I I remember showing up because we got rained out the first the first game seven so I remember showing up and I pull up in my parking spot and the guy at the truck at the the tv station he said it's canceled and I just thought Chris Carpenter is going to pitch game seven now because he needed he he ended up he was on short I think it was on three days rest he would have been on two he couldn't have done it but I'm like Chris Carpenter is going to be our we got Carp in game seven and so I was excited about that. And then, but when we show back up, you, you try to keep it as absolute. You don't talk about it. You don't talk. You just, we're here. We take batting practice. We do our thing. We show, we play the game. You try to treat it like another game because you don't want all that other stuff to get in the way and 
you know, cause you to the nerve. I mean, you're going to have nerves obviously, but you just try to keep it as like, you just don't even talk about it. You just, Hey, we're going to go out and play another game. The rest is history. The Cardinals would go on to win that game six to two. Uh, Carp did get in a little I'm bit of trouble. I'm glad it was a. I'm glad it was like a big win because I couldn't take another. After those last that series, I was, I couldn't do another close game. Oh, you and me both. Yeah. I actually was working in the press box that night for that series, and I remember one of the writers uh, telling me, "You know, this game's a little anticlimactic after last night." And I thought, <laughs> "How can you say that? I'll How take can it. you say that? I'll take it." Um, yes, it's in the history of baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after last night, so. Um, but yes, the Cardinals would win the game six to two. Of course, Freeze had another huge hit. We were we were down, and uh, he came up yeah. in his first at bat, mm-hmm. and uh, I think there was a second inning. That's and, when we knew. Hit That's a, when hit I a knew. double. They scored two in the first. That's and I right. Thought, oh no! And then when we scored two, I'm like, "There's no way. There's yeah. no way they can rebound from this." And uh, Colby Lewis, I, I ended up signing with the Rangers in 2013, and Colby Lewis pitched Game Seven or Game Six, and he he was telling me he said I went home that night and I told my wife we got no shot. He's like, I, I, he's like, you just, you just knew, you know, after we lost that way, he's like, I went back and just said, we, we got no chance. And, you know, game seven, they get off to a two Oh lead. And then we come right back and I'm like, there's just no way that they can get back up after mm-hmm. that. And thankfully we were able to keep putting it on. Yeah. Alan Craig, I think had a home run right after that to put us up and off. That's the right. And then of course he would catch the final out yep. in left field and mm-hmm. the celebration was on. We had a great parade downtown and it was the Cardinals 11th world championship in franchise history. Mm-hmm. And that piece of the Jersey that you talked about, you can see here at the championship yeah. gallery at the Cardinals museum. It should be on loan for me, but I'd <laughs> if only, if only, <laughs> but we've got your Jersey right here. That's too. just as good. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Maybe someday we'll put the two of them next to each other. <laughs> there you go. So how's that? Kyle, you've been doing some great things. Uh, after your baseball career ended, you mentioned that you you went to um, the Rangers. You did pitch in 2012 with the Cardinals. You would go on to pitch for the Rangers for a season, but you've come back to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now with Brace for Impact. Yeah, so you know, my wife and I always wanted to get involved in something in the community. Being from here and play here made my name here. Um, and we we had a hard time finding the right fit, and we looked for a long time and. Uh, when I was done, or getting done, I kind of had an idea where my career was heading. Um, I had six arm surgeries, ultimately, four shoulder surgeries, two elbows. And um, as I started to know where that was coming, it, it was the right time for me to start looking at, you know, doing something. And Adam and Wainwright and his wife invited my wife and I to Haiti with them in January 2014. And, and it changed our lives um, and has allowed us to change a lot of lives after that. And so we came back and got involved. We started our foundation. I just had two surgeries. I just had shoulder surgery on my right and my left shoulder uh, leading into that trip. And so I knew I was going to be rehabbing all year. And, um, and, and so we came back and kind of started putting some things together and uh, got involved down there. And Adam really committed to what he was doing down there. And uh, been, we worked there for two years. We built an orphanage. We take care of 41 kids in that orphanage. We have a school that we, we send over 200 kids to school every day that never had a chance to go to school. We feed the kids at school on a really cool feeding program. Um, Adam and his wife built a hospital that, uh, that's what I was just down there this week working on. Um, there's a kid that grew up in our orphanage that became a doctor and he's running this medical clinic and, uh, 70 full-time staff. I mean, it's a big hospital and, uh, water and sanitation in the community for 35,000 people. We have over a thousand toilets in the community. We're building a vocational school right now in a high school. And so it's, it's truly community development with all these different things going. 
And uh, it's just been it's been my calling, man. It's it's what I love to do. I, I love my time in the uniform, um, but I love the fact that I get to use that platform to do greater things, you know, past that career that are going to last a lot longer than than my five year baseball career. And two years after we started that and got that going, we came back to St. Louis and uh, we have a community development program here in North City, St. Louis. So we're pretty close to here, actually. Um, doing buying and renovating homes working with local contractors to do the work and then we place families in the homes and work with those families to help stabilize them so that their kids can have a, a, a different future and um, it's been it's been awesome we we've worked with some really great people we've got some incredible support throughout this a lot of people that have believed in us and in our mission and um, it's what I get to do I'm a I'm chief volunteer of the organization I, I do it because I love doing it and um, get to lead the organization and and um, you know, go out and leverage relationships in a healthy way to, to make a difference for people. And, um, so yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's what wakes me up every day. It's what I get excited about doing and, um, love to try to figure out how we can be the best organization we can be and, and how we can best serve the people that we serve. Awesome. If people want to find out more information about Brace for Impact, how can they do that? Yeah, our social media. So we're on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook. We try to post every day. Uh, you can get a, you can get an idea, but we we're very heavily towards Haiti on our social media because we we got to be real careful and um, because of the area we're working and the families that we're working with in North City, we got to be real careful on how public we are with that. So we don't put a ton on there about that, but just know that there's a lot of work being done on that. It's just not very public right yet. We're working on a lot of trust and relationship issues that we're trying to develop. In two and a half years, we've been doing it. We're making a lot of progress because we're doing it a certain way. Um, and then our 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 website it has more information pictures and things like that of uh of what we're doing there but uh yeah brace for impact 46 is the name of it and i'd uh, love for y'all to check it out and see what uh see what we're doing sounds good ladies and gentlemen kyle mcclellan Back here in our Bush Stadium studios, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I mean, man, what an um, amazing year. And you hear those stories, and it just harkens you back, and you think about really everything that transpired that October and just how unlikely it was but how absolutely amazing it was as a fan to take that in. It is an era in baseball and Cardinal history which probably is unmatched to this point. And I don't know how you could get much more magical than that, but we'll see if we can't give it a shot here at some point in the future. But uh, that was an incredible ride in 2011, and Kyle McClellan had a first-row seat to that, being part of that ball club. Hey, we're really pleased to be with you here every Tuesday during the baseball season. We'd love for you to get involved. Send me an email, podcast with an S at cardinals.com. I'll shoot you a response. We'd love to hear whatever kind of feedback you might have on the show. If you like what we do, leave us a rating wherever it is that you listen, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. We're in all those spots. Basically, anywhere that you get your podcast, we are there, and we would love a positive review from you. It really helps the show. You've been great to us this year, and we appreciate that. So please keep it coming. Keep hanging out. It is always a good time. For Kyle McClellan and Brian Finch, my name is Brett McMillan. We'll talk to you next week on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. 
that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.